If you have your Bibles this evening, please open up and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Slowly working our way through the book. So in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 21 to 30 and focusing on verses 21 through 23. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray before we go into the word. Father, we thank you. We pray for open hearts, open minds, for spiritual illumination in your son's name. Back when I was in the Navy, there was an instructor I had in my A school in Pensacola, Florida. We'll just refer to him as Petty Officer Wilson. Nice guy, very mellow guy, but a very serious and intense man. When you get out of boot camp, you get a different kind of uniform. The boot camp uniform you always have to iron and you always have to maintain. But when you get out, you can go into the store and you can buy a a uniform that you pretty much just put in the dryer and you don't really have to press it so much. That's what most of us did. But not Petty Officer Wilson, he kept that cloth uniform and he put those creases in and he ironed out every single wrinkle. Same thing with the shoes. You get a leather pair of shoes issued in boot camp, you have to shine them all the time. So what do you do when you get out of boot camp? You go to the store and you buy what are called Corframs. They're plastic. They're always shiny. You never have to shine them. It's kind of a, a, a way to cheat. It looks good, too, but not for Petty Officer Wilson. He shined those things to a perfect shine. He was a signals intelligent expert. He probably knew more about signals than anybody in the Navy. One day somebody asked him, they said to him, what are you going to do when you retire from the military? He said, well, I have about 10 years in. I'm going to put in my full 30. So he's got 20 more years to go, and he said, when I'm finished with the military, I really have no longer any reason to live. There's just nothing else to do. The military was his purpose. Signals analysis is what he lived for. 
So before the military, he admitted, he said he was just some punk kid who would get in trouble, who had no purpose, who had no direction. He joins the military. He becomes a signals analyst. He has no idea what he's getting into. But he falls in love with it, and it completely consumes him. He found his meaning, and he found his identity in this job. And when it's all over, he said he had no longer, he had any reason to keep going. So is this a little too extreme? I would say yes. We're definitely seeing an example of idolatry here because Christ is not at the center of his heart. But what you have to do is you have to admire his dedication and you have to admire his service and how serious he respects the job, how serious he respects the uniform, and he keeps it pressed and he keeps it clean. If only everyone was as dedicated as him. If only every believer in Christ was as dedicated to Christ as this individual was to his job. And what we're going to see here with Christ is, or with Paul is this dedication, whether alive or dead, we live for our calling. So in verse 20 of Philippians 1, it lays the groundwork for where we're going to be this evening. Paul says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. So he's given us kind of the context of what's to follow by offering the only solution to the big problem we all face in this world, the problem of meaning, the problem of purpose. So Christ at the center. Ever since the fall, Genesis chapter 3, we have been searching for purpose. We lost it when we turned our back on God. We became disconnected with the Creator. We lost what we were created for. And now our only focus day in and day out in our sin nature is ourself. What Paul says next here in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's making a statement about the true purpose of his life. He's telling us where meaning and purpose are to be found. A lot of times we have these questions. What does it mean to live? Why do I even exist? What is the purpose of all of this? What Paul says in verse 21 is not just a subjective statement. He's not simply saying what he found to be true or useful for him. He is making a statement for all people at all times in all places. He's given us the answer to this problem that we all have. The solution to glorify God in everything we do with Christ at the center. Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer the Apostle Paul living for the Apostle Paul. It is Christ living through the Apostle Paul, being restored and regenerated back into fellowship with God that we had in Genesis 3. See, the curse is reversed for the born-again believer. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live according to the world's system. We no longer desire and pursue what we want for ourselves out of a selfish human nature. We have found the true meaning of life, and that's Christ living in us. So not only is Christ the meaning and the purpose for our lives, 
but Christ is also the meaning and purpose of our death. Death is a blessing for the believer. Verse 20, Paul said again, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ is at the center of both. It is important for us to keep in mind, death is not the end for the Christian. And the reason we often struggle with this, we struggle with death, why is it hard for us to think of this, is because we're trying to make our heaven here on earth. Our material possessions, our goals, our careers, our friends, our loved ones. We have fallen in love with so much here that it is hard for us to look at death and think that it's a blessing because we're looking at what we're going to leave behind. But what we see in Scripture is death is not the end, but only the person who has a saving faith in Christ can say this. Death is also much more than simply being released from all of the pains and all of the sufferings that we experience in this world. I know a lot of us think, boy, when we get to see the Lord, I can rest. And it's true, but that still is not the main joy behind our death. Paul is saying here that for a believer, death is a benefit. It's not just escaping the pain and misery. Remember at this time, Paul was in prison as he writes this. He wasn't looking forward to heaven because he could get out of these chains. He wasn't looking forward to heaven because finally then he won't have to worry about any more of the persecution. He remained fully in joy inside of his heart. The chains didn't matter. He was optimistic still. The circumstances did not dictate how he was feeling in that jail cell. So for Paul, both life and death were blessings. He had meaning and he had purpose and he was looking forward to whatever one the Lord brought to him next. And why is this? It's because either way, Christ will be honored in whatever he does. Death is what Paul looked forward to the most. Again, not because he wanted to escape the pain. He embraced the sufferings that the Lord brought his way. Paul pushed forward to his death because then he could actually be face to face with Christ, his ultimate goal. I think this is the point that we forget. We're looking forward to heaven because we don't want to suffer anymore. We're looking forward to heaven because this world seems to be getting more sinful and more sinful, and we just want to get out of here. And these aren't necessarily bad things, but if Christ is not the center, he's not at the heart of why we are in his eternal presence, there's other things that are getting in the way. Look at the middle of verse 23. Paul says, My desire is to to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So either way Paul goes, there's meaning and there's purpose because Christ is at the center. Paul had purpose no matter if he was alive or dead. On earth, he was here to serve the Lord. In heaven, he was in the eternal presence of God, worshiping. So for Christians, as we take a step back and we look at our position in Christ, what we're seeing here, for us, it's a win-win. But sadly, this world tricks us. And not only does it trick us at times, it definitely tricks the unbeliever. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this in the past, on a birthday gift or maybe during Christmas, to play a prank on somebody. You buy a person a gift and it's a small gift. 
But then you buy a really, really big box, and you put that small gift in the big box, and you stuff it with newspaper, you stuff it with things that make it seem heavy. The person walks up to the gift under the tree, they shake it. They're trying to imagine, boy, what's in here? What's in here? This is a huge gift. I can't wait to open it up. When they do eventually open it up, it's, it's just something small. It's probably been done to me a time or two. I've probably done it to somebody else. But this is the exact same way the world tricks us. It seems to have so much to offer us. It seems to have all of the solutions, the correct understanding to all the world's problems. It can solve anything in a laboratory. We have experts in every single field. Buy this, achieve that, you're going to feel happy, you're going to feel satisfied, you're going to be on top of the world. The world has so much to offer. Money, happiness, prestige, comfort. Just watch the commercials. Those, they'll tell you exactly how you're going to feel when you buy their product. But like the newspaper that gets stuffed into that box to make the gift seem bigger, all of these things of this world are simply filler. There's no substance to it. It doesn't last. The moment you die, everything that you have attained, everything that you have worked for, everything that you have saved is not yours. You lose it. Somebody else eventually comes along and takes it. And after a while, without any knowledge of how hard you worked or how it came about, and also following this, your legacy is forgotten. This world cannot give you meaning and purpose. Even if they made a statue of you and put it downtown, eventually enough time goes by where people look at that statue and they think, who is this person? And all you start to realize is this is where the birds like to land. People forget who you were. At some point in our lives, I think we all start to realize this. It kind of hits us between the eyes. We begin to break down mentally all of our dreams, all of our passions, Everything that we had invested in this world alone, outside of Christ, we start to realize it's breaking down. It doesn't support us. The world has failed us. Its system has not promised, has not delivered on its promise. It didn't give us what we thought it would. We had faith in something where its foundation was based on sand. And after we've sucked all of the flavor out of the gum and it becomes stale, we simply discard it out the window. We realize that we never truly understood our meaning and purpose and what we were investing our lives in. That it was based upon a faulty foundation. That there was no support underneath and we thought we were strong and secure, but in the end, we realize we weren't. There was a philosopher who lived in the 20th century, he proposed a question. This is what he said. He said, since life has no objective purpose, is it still worth living? So everything I just described about this world and how it lacks meaning and purpose and how it tricks us, this philosopher, he realized this. There is no ultimate meaning and purpose. Now this philosopher wasn't a Christian. And he's looking at the world through his own perspective. And he's come to the conclusion that since this life has no objective purpose, is it still worth living? Since there's no objective meaning and purpose in life, now what? What do we do? How do we act? Why even get up in the morning? Life is cold. 
Life is meaningless. There is no objective reality. But yet he noticed at the same time, as he came to this conclusion, what he realizes in himself and what he realizes in everybody else is people still have a drive to find meaning and purpose anyways. Even though the pursuit of it is hopeless. So there is no meaning and there is no hope and there is no purpose. But every day people wake up, they're pursuing it. Even though at the end of the rainbow there is no gold. He said everything in life lacks this, and yet we continue to get up. So this is what he did. He came to three solutions. This is where, if you're investing your heart and soul in this world, it cannot fulfill. And the philosopher came to these three. The first solution he had, suicide. Life has no meaning. Why keep living? According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, in 2020, an estimated 1.2 million people attempted suicide. 46,000 were successful. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in the U.S., and 70% of these are middle-aged white men. We have to ask ourselves, why? What is leading a person to do this? We have to ask ourselves how much of this is due to finding or the lack of finding purpose and meaning in life. How much of this is due to being loneliness, to being lonely, not having hope. How much of this is due to the despair and the apathy of having no objective foundation to support you. How much of this is due to the realization that this world cannot give you what you're looking for. So that was his first solution which he disagreed with. The philosopher said, dying isn't any better than living, so suicide's not a good solution. His second solution was this. Taking a leap of faith. Just find something to believe in. Pick a religion. Immerse yourself in it. Make up your own reality. It's this type of a self-deception just to give you enough motivation just to get by in life. Even though it's not based on any objective truth or reality, the question about this is, is the person any better off if they're living a lie than if they're living in despair? Is the person any better off shoving all of these emotions and all of these realities that they've come to realize under a rug and follow something that they're creating just to get them by on a daily basis? It doesn't make the problem go away, and at times it can make it even worse. So he came up with a third solution. This is what he embraced. It's known as absurdism. Embrace the tension. Even though a person believes there is no true meaning, there is no true purpose, live like there is anyways. Face the reality head on. He likened it to this. A person rolling a heavy, heavy boulder up a long hill takes every ounce of strength, every ounce of energy to get that boulder on top of that hill. And when he gets there, he steps aside, he takes a breath, and that boulder rolls down the hill all the way back to where he started. So what does the person do? He goes down to the bottom of the hill and he starts over. Every ounce of strength he has to get that boulder back up the hill. Once it gets there, he takes a step back, takes a breath, it rolls right back down to the bottom of the hill. 
That's his life. This is what the philosopher likened life to. This is the best solution he could come up with. The world can be an empty place. The world can be a lonely place, especially if you have no purpose or meaning to exist. And when humanity rebelled against God in Genesis 3 and fell from that state of innocence and fellowship that he was in, man began to die physically. Our bodies began to break down and they were destined for the grave. We also died spiritually. We became separated from God. God is dead to us. Our hearts, our soul want nothing more to do with him. We try to explain him away. We try to convince ourselves he doesn't exist. We even try to blame him for all of the problems in our life. And the consequences of this are what the philosopher was speaking of. This is your end result if you abandon God. The agony, the depression, the pain, the lack of purpose, meaning, or hope. Feeling like you're trapped in this world and you can't get out. And the tense tension constantly eating away at you to search, to search, to search, even though you're finding nothing on the other side. So now when we take a look at Philippians 1.21, when Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The blessing of even being able to experience and to say this. He's not making this up. He's not simply creating his own reality to get by in life. This isn't blind optimism. This is reality. He's expressing what it means to be born again. He's expressing what it means to be restored back into fellowship with the Creator. He's expressing what it means to be reconciled and to be redeemed. The gospel is called good news for a reason. And we get so into our routine, and it may be to the point where we've heard this many times, but in order to really appreciate what Paul is saying in verse 21, for me to live is... um, To live is Christ and to die is gain. To be able to say that, the blessing to be able to say that, in order to really understand that blessing, you have to understand how far the human nature has fallen. And once you've experienced that depth and that sorrow, you may have not experienced it in your own life, but you can definitely experience it if you sit down and talk to somebody who has. The reality of going through this Even if they're born in a middle-class, upper-middle-class home, it doesn't matter. It's internal. It's in the heart. Anybody can experience that agony. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Sit down and talk to somebody who's been through this. And then listen to how Christ has brought them out of that despair. And you can really begin to appreciate the gospel being the good news. You can really begin to appreciate what Christ has delivered you from. Like we saw earlier in the Philippians, Christians are able to maintain their joy during the difficulties we face. The world can't do this. We do this because of the supernatural act of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Ephesians 2.14 says this, referring to Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
He himself is our peace. We are at peace because he has given us himself. Christ indwells us. He is our purpose. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is our meaning. He rescues us from the despair and apathy that we have created for ourselves. And as believers, as we mature, we slowly begin to strip off each layer of sin, one by one, each idol that we have clung to, every false hope that we have believed in, every corrupt thought, they begin to fade until our hearts become pure and all we have left is Christ. Christ is the centerpiece of all reality. If we are living our lives without Christ at the center, we will never find our true meaning and purpose in life. And how this life is going to feel is like that man pushing that stone up the hill to watch it roll back down and to do it all over again. This is the result of the fall. This is the result of our unbelief and our rebellion. This is why life loses its meaning and it appears to have no value or any eternal significance. So Christianity, the gospel, it's about a person. He himself is our peace. It is about knowing him. It is about living for him. It is about having our foundation rooted and grounded in him. He being the basis of all reality. Nothing in life will be rightly understood until there is faith in Christ and a restored relationship with him. Nothing. He is the string that unites everything in this world together. Life can only make sense through him. He is the proper lens in which everything is understood, everything is interpreted, and he is the proper lens in which tells us how to conduct our daily lives. So the gospel redefines how we look at our entire life. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, everything changes. We understand our purpose. We understand our struggle in this world. We're secure in our identity. We maintain joy through difficult circumstances and through difficult trials. We have internal peace and we have eternal security. The gospel just isn't an aspect of our lives. The gospel is the entire foundation of our lives. Not only is it the entire foundation of our lives, it is also the entire foundation of our death. So whether alive or dead, we are glorifying Christ. It is the air that we breathe and it is the hope of our destiny. This world's system betrays us. There isn't a single person who hasn't been hurt by it. There isn't a single person who hasn't been deceived by it. And when we try to align our passions and our desires and our hope and our meaning according to this world's system, we get betrayed and we get hurt every single time. This world system can never be your identity. It can never give you eternal happiness. It can never give you everlasting hope 
because this is what happens. You live, you die, thanks for playing. That's the world system. Why serve that system? For those of you who are still in rebellion against God, why serve this system any longer? The Lord understands the pain. He understands the dilemma that that philosopher was explaining. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He understands the dilemma of this world system. The world that you refuse to let go of will continue to betray you. How many more times must you suffer before you renounce it? How many more times will you allow it to knock you down, to wait for you to get up again just so it can knock you down once more? How much more heartache, how much more pain, how many more emotional scars do you want to endure before bowing the knee to Christ and renouncing it? See, the Apostle Paul went through the same kind of thing. He had to be knocked down to the ground and blinded before he came to Christ. And it was only after the Lord broke him where he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Are you broken yet? Have you had enough? If not, how much is it going to take? How much is enough? Let's pray. Father, we admit we live in a very difficult world. So much darkness, so much confusion. Lord, the blessing that we all have with you at the center of our hearts, with your spirit indwelling us, so many times, Lord, we take it for granted and we don't listen to the pain of the world that surrounds us. Lord, may this pain that we hear motivate us to evangelize. May this pain that we feel from this world system motivate us to speak boldly in truth and in love to those who are in desperate need of the gospel. Lord, you have redeemed us. We are eternally grateful. Use us as instruments, Lord, to continue to redeem other people. And we thank you, Lord, for your death on the cross. Because without this, we would be in a world of hurt, without hope, without purpose, and without meaning. So we thank you for these things. In your son's name, amen.